Welcome to another Alive at Springwood podcast, brought to you by Springwood Presbyterian Churches, where we don't believe churches are buildings. Churches are people. Disciples of Jesus bound together in diversity by God's love, while pursuing faithfulness and vulnerability, celebration and lament, reading the Bible and prayer. May you be encouraged and God glorified by this edition. When Shane Warne died of a heart attack a number of months ago, uh, what one of his friends reflected on a conversation that he had with him, and apparently Shane Warne said this, even though I've got everything and I've been so successful, I don't really know who I am. And I remember thinking at the time, that explains so much of Warney's life, at least as an outsider looking in. He always danced from one experience to another like he was searching around for some deep sense of fulfilment and identity or purpose. But he never quite seemed satisfied. And that question of, of who am I is so important as humans to understand who we are. And it, it always has been. But particularly today, as technology and media open up new questions about what it means to be human and new possibilities. But what I want to really do today is to spend some time looking at the story of our culture and comparing it to the biblical story. Because while our culture and Scripture both encourage us to ask this question of who am I, they find the answer to that question in in very different places. So let me lead us in prayer as we come to God's Word tonight. Lord God, we pray that as we explore these uh, deep and uh, personal questions that really ask us to look at ourselves, to understand who you've made us to be, may, may you give us wisdom and compassion and gentleness as we engage in this discussion And may it prompt us to glorify and honour your wonderful design. Amen. So you might have heard around the place terms like people finding themselves, being true to themselves and forming their identity. That, That kind of language is quite prominent in our culture at the moment. But those kinds of phrases, that notion of personal identity is quite a modern thing. It's only, those phrases have only started to appear in literature in about the last 50 years. And they show that there's been a change in thinking about the question of who am I? In the past, we might have answered that question, who am I, by talking about our physical selves, We might have talked about our culture and the communities that we're a part of, the families that we've grown up in. We might have looked to external places like scripture or science or social status to help us understand where we fit and who we are. But increasingly, our primary answer to the question of who am I is our own perception of ourselves our emotions, 
our feelings about who we are, what we feel comfortable with. And so there's been this shift. The answer now to who am I comes from within, not from without. And George Bernard Shaw, the famous playwright, sums this up. He wrote, life isn't about finding yourself, life is about creating yourself. Or uh, Madonna put it in these words, I am my own experiment, I am my own work of art. It's a powerful story, isn't it? To be both potter and clay, moulding ourselves, it gives us control and power. But as we look around, if personal identity and looking within is the answer to who am I, then why does our world still seem so discontent? I don't see a society that is growing more satisfied. I see confusion and endless seeking. People like Shane Warne searching after every experience and expression of self, searching for something they can't quite put their finger on, trying to find something inside when at least a big part of the answer comes from without. Dr. Sarah Irving Stonebreaker, uh, she's a historian and a cultural commentator, she writes, powerful though it is, There's a deep poverty in this idea of finding meaning within, which leaves people, particularly younger generations, profoundly dissatisfied. The other problem of looking within to find the real self is that if we really believe that, if our society as a whole believes this, then everything outside of myself has little value. If other people, if my family and community can't tell me who I am, then why pour energy into that space? If science or faith can't tell me who I am, they're a waste of time. If I am merely my emotions and my experiences, then history has no importance either, at least the history before, beyond my life span. This looking within is a worldview. It's a way of seeing. It's a story that impacts our behaviour and our thoughts and our society more broadly. It affects our values as well. And so in this worldview, the inner self, my self-perception, is valued above all else. And we make everything else fit that. Now, I want to say that there's something true about this story. What we think about ourselves does matter. But it's only part of the story that we have turned into the entire story. So, what I want to do now is look at a fuller story. I'm not going to claim that this is everything there is to say on the matter. But let's turn to Scripture now and see what what God has to say about our identity. So you might uh, remember the words of the psalm that we read earlier, that Caroline read for us earlier. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Let me read a bit of it for you again. 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And so the first thing to say is that Scripture tells us loud and clear that we are created by another. That there's one outside of us who has carefully and intentionally knit us together with loving hands. There's a potter who has crafted this clay vessel. And that simple truth immediately confronts the narrative of merely searching within for who I am. I was uh, watching a documentary the other day called The Modular Human. And it depicts a future where humans will be like those modular kitchens where you pick and choose which body parts you like to fit your desires. And it feeds this narrative of us being blank slates upon which we pick and choose and create our own identity. But if there is a creator God whose image I resemble, I don't get to define myself My choices matter, they impact who I am, they affect how I see the world, but there are certain inherent truths about all humanity that can't just be ignored and discarded, unchanging truths about our identity. Here here are some of them. We are all made in the image of God. We have agency in the world. Our choices impact those around us. We are physical, embodied beings. We are loved by the God of the universe. We are made for relationship with God and with each other. We are finite and fragile. These things can't be changed. They are part of who God has made us all to be. The quest for identity is not a story of self-creation, but a story of unravelling God's plans and desires for us. The next thing to say from Scripture... Can I get it flicked across, Murray? Thanks. The next thing to say is that we are each unique. And we see that as you read through Psalm 139, it talks about that. But, but listen to these words from 1 Corinthians as one example. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. This is one example of many in Scripture that talks about how God's people how humans are made different and unique. And so we see that although there are universal truths about who God has made us to be, there are also unique gifts and talents and personalities and tasks that God gives to us individually. And so there's, abs- there's something absolutely right in looking inside and dis- discovering how God has uniquely gifted us. We're meant to celebrate what makes me, me, and what makes you, you. This also means that 
our identity is not fixed. We change. The choices that we make and our experiences in life have a significant impact on how we see ourselves and how we see the world. And Scripture recognises this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament too, but we, we see God calling His people away from idolatry and the practices of the people around them and inviting them to live closely in community with God. He knows that the world around us impacts our identity, impacts who we are. And so there are aspects of our identity that are malleable, our personalities, our character, our values and our desires. The third thing that Scripture reveals is that we are inherently relational. We've been created by a God who is three in one, relational in His very nature. And so we reflect that. And this is one reason why this idea of searching inward to find ourselves is actually just a fallacy. Because nobody is able to block out the noise and the voices of others. Our families, our communities, our, these days, our, our social media groups profoundly shape who we are. And it was interesting, Chris, you mentioned Mark Sayer's book about how people act like a a mirror. Relationships and communities act like a mirror. They show us what we are like and teach us how to behave, to fit in with those communities. And that's part of God's good design for us, but it's only part of the story. In 1990, uh, a man by the name of Christopher Knight went into solitude He parked his car and took off into the wilderness for 27 years because he wanted to escape human contact. In an interview afterwards, he shared this. Solitude bestows an increase in something valuable. I can't dismiss that idea. Solitude increased my perception, my ability to see things clearly. But here's the tricky thing. When I applied my increased perception to myself, when I asked the question, who am I, I lost my identity. There was no audience, no one to perform for, and so there was no need to define myself. I became irrelevant. And here's the sad thing. If our world becomes a place where every person is only looking inwards to find themselves, then we all become like Christopher Knight in the wilderness, irrelevant to anyone but ourselves. It's the ultimate recipe for breeding a narcissistic society. Another insight from Scripture is that God is not finished with us. The idea of looking inward to find your true self assumes that who I am right now is the truest version of me. Scripture tells us, actually, who you are becoming is more true than who you are right now. It tells us that we're broken and distorted, that the image of God is marred in us. 
but that God is at work through his spirit to remake and restore us to the image bearers he made us to be. In uh, Paul and Timothy's, in their letter to, the, to Philippi, they write, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God's work in us has begun. He's chipping away at the rough edges, but he's not done with us yet. So in some ways, I can't know my truest self yet, but I'll meet me one day. We're obsessed with trying to be perfect in the present. I wonder what release and freedom it would provide for those who are deeply discontent if they knew that their identity wasn't in who they could form themselves to be now, but in who God was making them to be. If identity was found in the hands of the great artist rather than the clumsy hands of self. Finally, Scripture throws the inner search for personal identity into turmoil when we meet Jesus. We read read from the book of Colossians earlier. It reads, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the knowledge and image of its creator. Or perhaps we could think about the words of Jesus himself who says, whoever loses his life, whoever, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So the paradox of the biblical story, the paradox of the gospel, Jesus says rather than belonging to ourselves, it's precisely in losing ourselves, dying to ourselves, that we find our true identity. It's as we discard our own independent pursuit of self and turn to Jesus as the one who knows us, that we finally see truly who we are and who we are becoming. C.S. Lewis once wrote, give yourself up and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. I was fascinated to find this in a book I was reading. It's a book called How to Find Yourself. And this uh, prayer is called The Prayer of the Authentic Self. And what the author's done is taken the Lord's Prayer and rewritten it as if it was a prayer of our culture and this uh, worldview of searching within for identity. And it, it reads this, My essence within, help me to find my authentic self. My kingdom come, my will be done from birth to seventh heaven. Give me today my daily spread. Forgive not my enemies as I suppress those who sin against me. Lead me not into self-doubt, but deliver me from all external authorities. For the kingdom, 
the power and the glory are mine, now and forever. Amen. How do we respond as God's people in a world where this view of life is dominant? Let me offer a couple of thoughts. Firstly, we need to understand that in this world, self-perception is currently king. And this is why Christians will continue to find ourselves misunderstood and disliked because the gospel steps on the toes of the world and says, there is more to you than your imagination. There is more to you than your own thoughts about yourself. And what I find so sad about that inner story is that though it puts so much emphasis on me, it's actually a really dehumanizing story. It reduces me to just being the perception of my own thoughts. I becomes whimsical, fleeting, unimportant, unstable, able to change with the breeze. I long for our world to see that they are so much more than that, more loved, more precious, more purposed and meaningful. The thing about this story of inner identity, though, is that it ultimately does unravel. I see it unravelling for a relative of mine who spent tens of thousands of dollars changing her body and is still desperately discontent. I see it unravelling for lots of young people who have worked hard to build this online persona, to curate their identity online. But if you sit down and talk with them, it's a mask and there's a lot of mess going on behind that mask. I see it in unhappy faces and fake smiles on the streets and I feel it in my own life when I try to change myself and find I am so weak and powerless to do that. When we look at this inner story like this, when we look at what's happening in our world, at the dissatisfaction, we should be moved by compassion for our neighbour. Will we be there to care for people and to walk beside friends and families when this story unravels, when it reaches a dead end? when they find meaning can't ultimately be found within? Are we there to comfort them and talk about the God who loves them so deeply as they wrestle with finding themselves and all the complexities that go with that? Are we working at being a loving presence for people now so that when those moments come, we might be trusted to speak into those struggles Some of the biggest and the most heated conversations in our culture at the moment are about identity. What does it mean to be human? Questions about gender and sexuality, what is personhood, that kind of question. If I could make a broad, sweeping generalisation, 
I think the church has tended to focus too much on behaviour and surface expressions, the symptoms rather than the root of the issue. Of the issue is that we have people in our world living out of very different stories. In its most simple form, one story includes God, the other doesn't. This means that when we start telling each other how to behave, it's like an alien from Mars coming to Earth and telling humans how to be human. That's what it feels like to people. People feel misunderstood. We misinterpret each other. It's a culture clash. And it all feels arrogant, whether that is intended or not. We need to understand that's what's happening in these conversations. What our world needs and what our churches need are cultural translators. People who are willing to enter into both stories in genuine ways. And I think there are people in this church who do that very, very well. People who are willing to listen and understanding, understand the underlying stories and speak with wisdom and nuance and love. You know, people don't need my judgment or my rules or my opinions about their actions and behaviour. Our world needs to meet the living God and encounter His goodness. They need to step into His story and encounter Jesus before they are changed. So in the public square, when Christians speak, wouldn't it be great to hear people, rather than focusing on the symptoms, point people to the beautiful story of Jesus and how it offers a full and true picture of life? It doesn't mean we don't speak into how God calls us to live, but when we do so, wouldn't it be great to, if we could hear, if people could hear something like this, we believe this because we love you and want you to know a story that is more fulfilling and wonderful than you can imagine. We want you to hear this story because you are precious and you are more than this story of the world makes you out to be. That's not always easy to tell that story in a culture where media truncates conversations and we're after short, snippy sort of comments. How do you tell a fuller story? But the challenge I want to leave with us all is to think through, how can I become a cultural translator? How can I help people enter into the story of Jesus that they might lose themselves in him? and then find themselves. How might the story of Scripture offer hope and goodness and life to our neighbours? And how might I help to show that to them? I want to finish with these uh, words from George MacDonald, a Scottish author and uh, minister. He wrote this, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God, is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. Let us pray that our world, our friends and families and neighbours might know this too. Let's pray.
Lord God, thank you that we are formed by your imagination, not by our own imaginations, and that your imagination is filled with goodness and love and wonder. Thank you that you've made us so much more than our little imaginations can can conjure. And Lord, we pray for our world. We pray for people who are dissatisfied, searching for themselves, and the people who are really struggling in that, in that space right now. Lord God, may you help us to be a faithful, wise, loving presence in your world, showing people the better story that you have for us. Amen.